Mark chapter 14. Mark's gospel chapter 14. Our aim this week, as I said on Monday, is to help prepare your heart for the most important remembrance that we will share as human beings and as redeemed ones in the body of Christ, the remembrance of the lavish love of God poured out for us in the person of his son on the cross of Calvary. Our hope and prayer through our time this week in chapel, today through what has been preached, Bob Dixon's testimony to you on Monday, Philip DeCourcy's message and reminder of all of the treasure of hope we have despite the fear places we can encounter and live in. Trisha's testimony today. I wanted her to share her testimony today because she is living proof, my view, not perfect as she confessed, of what it means to give a lot because you've been given a lot. We have been lavishly loved. And my message today is a meditation. It's an exhortation. It's a preparation. Its purpose is to help you get ready to think, to reflect about something that matters to God and ought to matter to you. So to that end, I invite you to read with me these 10 verses, Mark chapter 14, from which we will consider the subject of lavish love. Now the feast of the Passover and unleavened bread was two days off, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to seize him, a reference to Jesus, by stealth and to kill him. For they were saying, not during the festival, this is the Passover which is coming, lest there be a riot of the people which would jeopardize their station with Rome. Verse 3. And while he, referring to Jesus, was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of costly perfume of pure nard. And she broke the vial and she poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, for what purpose has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii, and the money given to the poor, and they were scolding her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. For the poor you always have with you, and whenever you wish, you can do good to them, but you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Now watch verse 9. I truly say to you, whenever and wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, that also which this woman has done shall be spoken of in memory of her. And Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went off to the chief priests, in order to betray him to them. And they were glad when they heard this, and they promised to give him money. 
And he began seeking how to betray him at an opportune time. Would you pray with me? Father, this is a gift to us. This record which marked a season, a moment in life that was unforgettable in the eyes of the Son of God. It was a meaningful moment in a difficult season that he would never forget and would want to never be forgotten. It is a meaningful moment that marked the life of Christ, and I'm asking, O oh God, that it will mark our lives today. It is my prayer, out of this meditation, focused on this unique and unrivaled action, that you'll prepare our heart to remember rightly, to reflect appropriately, on the lavish love we have received. And then to respond extravagantly, giving our best, selflessly serving, lavishly loving. Lord, help us to get it so we can give it. And for us all, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Truly I say to you, Wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done shall be spoken of in memory of her. Question. What is it that Jesus wishes to memorialize everywhere and for all time? What is it that Jesus wants to erect as a monument that is to last as long as the gospel lasts? What is it that God will always remember? And what is it that we should never, ever forget? Listen to me. The demonstration and the display of lavish, extravagant love toward the one who has lavishly loved us. This is a difficult season in the life of Jesus. He is heading to Jerusalem. He is resolutely, Luke's gospel says, set his face to go to Jerusalem. He has told his disciples, all of them three times, three of them four times, I'm going and I will die. I will be mocked, I will be betrayed, I will be crucified, and I will rise again. He is setting his face to go to Jerusalem. This is Saturday before Passion Week. He's two miles from Jerusalem. Monday, he will come to town with a multitude behind him and a multitude in front of him, proclaiming, Hosanna, Hosanna, the son of David, the king upon whom or for whom we have been waiting. Palm branches would be laid down. He would be celebrated as a king. Tuesday, he would come back to town after Monday's assessment of the temple, and he would trash and transform the temple. He would throw furniture. 
he would say, this is not right. This is to be a house of prayer. You've turned it into a house of merchandise. This religious merchandising, this religious activity that substitutes for real relationship with God is unacceptable. This is my father's house. He comes back on Wednesday. Wednesday was probably the longest day apart from Thursday he would have had. Wave after wave of assaulting encounters with adversaries. Trying to trick him, trying to catch him, plots against him. Really, that's what you see in the first two verses, the plotting. It's what you see in the end of this section, verses 10 and 11, the last two verses, the ultimate betraying. And sandwiched in this reality, framed in this darkness, is this inspiring reflection, this lavish loving. He's endured wave after wave of assault. Thursday, he will partake of the Last Supper. Judas will depart to betray him. He'll shed sweat drops of blood in wrestling over the realities of drinking the cup of God's wrath on our behalf. He'll be assaulted again by the tempter. His disciples will fall asleep, then they'll fall away. Peter will deny him. The officials will falsely accuse him and try him. Friday he will stand before Pilate. There will be no validating basis for the charges against him. He will be scourged. He will be mocked. And he will be crucified. They will spit on him. They will gamble for his clothes. Friday's coming. This is the Saturday before. This is the calm before the storm. And I want you to know that there is nothing else ever recorded that is to be communicated everywhere the gospel is communicated but this. Which says to me that in God's view, this is unforgettable. This Easter weekend, I want to inspire you to love the way this woman loved. In light of who he is and in light of what he will do, I want us to love in a way that impacts God. In a way that would cause him to say, I will never, ever forget that. And I want you to love God in a way, I want to encourage you to love God in a way that not only impacts him, but influences and impacts them. Lavish love. It's just a few days before he's going to die. I want you to consider three things this morning. Her lavish love, his lavish love, and then I want us to think about our lavish love. Her lavish love. It's just a few days before Jesus dies. He knows it. He's been saying it. But his disciples don't get it. 
He's just a few miles from Jerusalem at the home of Simon the leper. He's in Bethany. And a woman motivated by lavish love takes a vial of perfume worth a year's wages or more and pours it on the head of Jesus. And John's gospel includes this and washes his feet with her hair. Her love is so lavish that those who witness it call it a waste. It is a love so lavish that all in its presence are benefited by it. John, 3, John 12, 3, the whole house was filled with the fragrance of her perfume. Her love was so lavish that it was all she had. Verse 8, it was all she could do. And listen, it is love so lavish that in God's eyes it would never be forgotten. And she will never be forgotten. Lavish love. I want you to think with me. Meditate with me. What is it about lavish love that God won't forget and neither should we? Lavish love that God will never forget, number one, is extravagant love. It's stunning love. Verses 3 through 5, it's expensive love. It's an alabaster vial. An alabaster was a fine variety of marble quarried in Egypt, carved into delicate containers of great value to hold things of great worth. It's a vial of very costly perfume. It's pure. It's the highest quality. It's made of nard, an East Indian exotic. It was the costliest anointing oil of antiquity. It was the purest perfume. It was the costliest per perfume. It was housed in an expensive vessel. It was 300 denarii worth of value. A, a year's wages or more. It was extravagant. It was expensive. It was exorbitant. It's not what was expected. It's not what would normally be done. It was beyond the norm love. Extravagant love that God never forgets is above and beyond the normal what is expected love. It's exorbitant. It's what others who don't have it would call wasteful love. It's, I can't believe you're doing that love. It's scratch your head love. It's, I don't get it love. It's beyond common sense because it's not about prudence. It's about passion. Extravagant love is costly. It's valuable. Listen to me, extravagant love is the best you have, love. Extravagant love is the love you give that's about them, not yourself. It's all about you, love. Extravagant love is why her love was unforgettable. Her love was unforgettable, number two, because it was exhaustive love. 
It was exhaustive. Verse 8, Jesus said of her, she has done what she could, which is a way of saying this is all she could do. This is all she had. She gave the best and she gave it all. It's extravagant. Normally there would be an anointing of a few drops of this kind of oil on the head of a guest. Nobody poured it out and nobody broke the vessel. She poured it all out and she broke the container that housed it as an expression of her passion that for you and you only, for you this time and never again, she did all her that she could in order to give all that she had out of her love and affection for him. The love that God will never forget is the love that houses all you have, all you can do, because of all that he is to you. I've had a lot of birthdays. I've had a lot of birthdays since I have had the privilege of having children. I've received a lot of gifts on my birthday. But there is, and I remember some of them, I'm sure I do not remember all of them, but there is one of them that I never, ever forget. Because on that birthday, one of my young children brought to me an envelope, handwritten on the front, Happy Birthday, Dad. It was just a, a typical envelope, a business-type envelope, sealed. And inside, there were a number of coins and a few dollar bills. I opened it, I looked at what was in it, and then my child said to me, Dad, I didn't know what to get you, but I wanted you to have all I had. He had taken the jar, we had three jars in his room, God's, others, yours. God's first, others second, yours third. When you get money, that's how you prioritize it. He had taken the jar with his, poured it into the envelope, gifted it to his father on his birthday and said, I didn't know what to get you, but I gave you all I had. I gave you all I have because I wanted you to have all I had. That's unforgettable to a father. That's why this is unforgettable to a savior. Lavish love is unforgettable because it's exhaustive. Not because it's tiring, it's everything. And it's humbling. Not recorded here, but in John's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 3, this woman washed his feet with her hair. Listen, nobody did that. And no person thinking about themselves would do that. A Jewish woman would never let her hair down, let alone wash somebody's feet with it. But she so lavishly loved him, she was so moved by who he was and what he had done for her 
She didn't care what other people thought. It doesn't matter to me, love, what you think about me. It's exhaustive and it's humbling. This is, I don't care what you think of me, love. This is all I have and all I can do for your love. And it's, I'm doing it when and only when I can do it. Look, they said, listen, we could have, we could have, we could have sold this. We could have distributed the assets to feed the poor. It's an interesting thing Jesus says. Listen, the poor are always with you. He's not saying that that's not a valid investment. The New Testament, the Old Testament's full of serving and supporting those without. Service like that is rendered as unto God. He's not saying that's not valuable. But he's saying you can do that. You can do that whenever you want to do that. But this you can only do now. This is an opportune time. This is the only time she can do what she's doing. Listen, lavish love takes advantage of opportunities that are once-in-a-lifetime opportunities. You give your best. You pour out the most. You humble. You give it all. You give more than expected. And for the person who doesn't get it, they won't get it. But he'll get it. And they'll be impacted by it because lavish love is extensive it's not just extravagant, it's not just exhaustive, it's not just ex- it, humbling, it's extensive, it's impacting. John 12, 3. The fragrance of the perfume was experienced by everybody in the house. Lavish love benefits everyone. It is love that when it is offered, blesses all in its presence. It is world-famous love in this context that will influence others for all time to love like she loved, to love lavishly like she loved lavishly. It's unforgettable. It's impactful. This, is, this matters to God, love. Verse 6, she's done a good deed to me. This is, it doesn't matter what they think, love. I mean, you need to understand the, the nuance or the force of the words. Verse 4, some were indignantly remarking to one another. Indignant is a word which means they were really upset. They were angry. They were frustrated. It's a strong word, this indignation. Their view of what had happened was it's a waste. Verse 5, they were scolding her. The word scold is a strong word. The word scold from copto to hit. It means to strike someone so hard that it debilitates them. It staggers them. In this case, their scolding wouldn't necessarily be a physical strike, it would be a verbal slap. It's strong language. It's demeaning language. It's frustrated language. Now listen, we know that the instigator of this most likely was Judas because he was interested in the value and how he might manipulate it for his own benefit. But his disciples, his fellow disciples, joined him in the scolding and in the expression of frustration. 
I want you to know what Jesus did in response to the lavish love. Not only did he say, for all time, wherever the gospel is preached, everybody is to remember this. He stepped up like a strong brother in the schoolyard when a sibling is being bullied. And he says in verse 6, let her alone. An aggressive heiress. Hey, stop that, is how we would say it. Right now, cease and desist. I'm not having that. She gets what you don't get. Why do you bother her? Why are you harming her? Why are you sternly admonishing her? You know what? What she has done is a kalos deed to me. There's two words in Greek for good. Agathos, which is good, beneficial, practical. It's what we would say, hey, do a good deed. A kind deed. A helpful deed. This is not about practical help. This is kalos. This is noble. We might say, he might have said and put it this way, what she's done to me is beautiful to me. It's pleasing to me. This is special to me. I want you to consider extravagant love, exhaustive love, extensive love, lavish love. It's pleasing to God. It's noble. It's beautiful. And it's unforgettable. All you have for all he is even if others don't get it, even if others don't see it, show it. Listen, you're going to journey through life and God's going to call you to do things that don't make sense to other people. To do things that, hey, you shouldn't go to the mission field, you shouldn't trade all that away, you shouldn't trade that great, great job, you shouldn't give up that career path, you shouldn't take that step, that's a waste. The word waste means destroyed or lost, no value. Don't measure what God is deserving and desiring from you by what others think about that investment. Measure what you do by your desire to please, honor, and gift Him with something He would say, that is beautiful. That's noble that's unforgettable. I want to call you this Easter weekend to bless God and help others love God like you love God. Of this meaningful moment in this section of the Scripture, one commentator beautifully says, in the act of love done to him, this woman has erected to herself an eternal monument as lasting as the gospel. Why does she do it and why should we do it? My encouragement to you is to remember her because God does, to be inspired by her and to be challenged to love like her. That's why her story is to be shared where the gospel is shared. Why? Because of the lavish love we've received in the gift of his passion 
and his love for us because of the lavish love of his death. Look at verse 8. Jesus says what they don't understand, and I believe she didn't understand. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. The burial is a reference to his death. The burial is a reference to his crucifixion. The burial is a reference to his lavish love passion. I want you to consider his lavish love. We sang about it. Dr. MacArthur reflected on the imputation of sin and the reality of it. He who was guilty of nothing will die for those guilty of everything. It is lavish love. He who knew no sin will become sin so that sinners might be treated as if they had not sinned. He will bear in his own body, 1 Peter 2, the sins of the many. He will be bruised, he will be crushed, he will be broken. He will be mocked, scourged, and spit upon. He will be pierced, judged, and abandoned. He will endure God's eternal and furious wrath. He will endure judgment. He will do out of lavish love what hell can't do, satisfy the justice of God. He could say it is finished. Nobody in hell can say it's finished. He did, out of lavish love, what an eternity in torment can never do. He will die The author of life will suffer and die, and he will do it out of lavish love, listen to me, for sinners. God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He will do it for murderers, betrayers, and liars. He will do it for adulterers, stealers, and cheaters. He will do it for rejectors, deniers, and abusers. He will do it for neglectors, idolaters, and fake worshipers. Jesus will die for prostitutes and for the self-righteous. He'll die for drug dealers and self-justifiers. Beloved, on this Wednesday before Good Friday, I want you to remember he gave his life as a ransom for many. He gave his life as a ransom for sinners. He gave his life for me, and he gave his life for you. Remember him. You know, when you gather, some of you will have a time of remembrance, the Lord's Supper, Good Friday. Many churches, mine did, would have a Good Friday service that always included the Lord's Supper. And there would always be the reminder that Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me. And I want you to understand the word remembrance is not just to recognize that it happened. It actually means to call something to your mind. See it as if it just happened. Think about it. And beyond thinking about it and seeing it, reflecting on it, do something because of what you've seen. It's like the memorials of the Old Testament. When you see those stones, remember why those stones are there. 
Remember what God did in parting the waters of the Red Sea. Remember how God delivered you. And remember what He did and live accordingly. Adjust your life. When you say this do in remembrance of me, it's remembering what He did, giving Himself as a substitute for the many. It's seeing it. It's knowing it. It's reflecting on it. And then it's acting like it. Which leads me to the third thing I want you to think about as we come to a close today. And I want to give you an opportunity for reflection and spiritual conversation. I turn not from from her lavish love and his lavish love, now to our lavish love. How lavish is your love? How lavish is our love? Consider this woman didn't know Jesus was going to die for her. And yet consider how she loved. She didn't know it, and yet she loved lavishly, extravagantly, and sacrificially. We do know Jesus would die for us. We know it, and more so, should love like it. The woman lavishly loved because of who Jesus was, and another gospel says this was Mary, so she may be loving because she's there with her brother Lazarus who had been raised from the dead. She'd experienced the bounty of his goodness, but she'd not experienced the wealth of the reality of the cross that you and I know. She loved him because of who he is, and we should love him because of who he is and what he has done. We should love extravagantly because he has died for us. He's become our scapegoat. There's a parallel thought in Luke 7. You might remember it. It's not the same woman. It's not the same story. It's not the same Simon. This is Simon the leper's house. Luke 7 is Simon the Pharisee's house. Jesus comes as a guest. This woman shows up. She pours anointing oil on Jesus, washes his feet with her hair, and kisses his feet. And Simon goes, do you not get it? Don't you know who this woman is? She's a notorious sinner. She's an immoral woman. You remember what Jesus said. Tells this little story. So, who loves more, the one who is forgiven less or the one who is forgiven more? This woman has been forgiven a lot, therefore she what? She loves a lot. Because if you're aware of what God has done for you, the most natural thing in the world is that you'll express for God lavish love. When lavish love is experienced, lavish love will be expressed. Some years ago, I heard the true story of a nine-year-old boy who was told of the lavish love, love of Jesus during a church visitation campaign, and he came to faith. He received the gifts of God's love. And he had never been to church, and so the first time he came to church, when the offering was being taken, he watched as people gave money. And he supposed that they were giving that money out of their love for Jesus, and he kept reaching in his pocket to find something to give, but in fact he knew he had nothing to give because he had no money. He was a poor boy from a poor home. And the tears began to roll down his cheeks because he had nothing to give, And he watched painfully as the plates moved throughout the auditorium and the congregation, watching the crowd one after another, his view showing love by giving. 
True story. Finally, he couldn't take it. He got out of the pew, ran to the back as the ushers were ending the collection time. He grabbed one of those plates from one of those ushers, sat it on the floor, and stood in the plate. And he looked upward and was heard to say, Jesus, I don't have anything to give you, but I give you all of me. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves as a living sacrifice, as a holy sacrifice, because it's acceptable to God. And the word acceptable means it's pleasing to him. It's like if you breathed a fresh fragrance, a sweet perfume, and you just went... It's well-pleasing, it's soothing. It's the word used of the prayer of the saints, it's a soothing aroma. It's what God feels when sacrifices that are acceptable are offered to him. Lavish love is what we ought to do because of the lavish love represented in what he has done. Lavish love is what we should do because of what she did and how he responded to it. Here's the truth. Lavish love experienced will naturally result in lavish love expressed. Here's another truth. The real waste is not this woman's lavish love. The real waste is the waste of his lavish love. To have God give what he gave. For Jesus to do what Jesus did and not benefit by it and respond to it is truly the greatest waste of all. Would you bow your heads with me, please? And I want to invite you to spend a couple of moments here at the close before we sing again. I'm speaking to you, the Christian Knowing of his love, knowing of his death, knowing of his suffering for you, question, how lavish is your love for him? Would others consider it a waste? Is it sacrificial? Is it all you could do? Is it an all-for-you God love? Christian, student at the Master's University, saved by grace through faith, have you stepped into the offering plate Have you given God all of you? Have you traded away the lesser for the greater? If not, will you? Will you love Jesus lavishly because he's loved you? And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you know all about it, but you've never been moved by the reality of it, would you allow his love for you to move you? Would you allow your need for him to prompt you? Lavish love has been spent for you. Will you receive it or will you waste it? I find it so ironic that Judas heard it, saw it. She saw what Mary saw and he walked away. 
not only denied it, he betrayed the Christ who offered it. Do you know God loves you? Do you know he died for you? No matter who you are or what you are, he has died for everyone who will believe. Father, thank you for the morning. Thank you for the opportunity for us to reflect and prepare this day on the wonder and the bounty of the lavish love of God poured out for us in the person of Jesus Christ, he who knew no sin, satisfying eternal justice, the just justifying the ungodly. Thank you for that. Help us to praise you this weekend. Help us to reconsider and recalibrate in recognition of the wonder of your lavish love for us. Help us to love well. Help us to love in a way that is unforgettable and impactful. To that end, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like you to just do one thing for me as we come to a conclusion today. Will you turn to the person next to you and will you offer a word of praise and honor kind of the perfume and fragrance of praise. Hebrews 13 says that when you share a word about God's grace toward you, when you give thanks to his name, it's a pleasing sacrifice to him. So as we conclude today, if you'll just turn to the person next to you and say, hey, this is what I am most grateful for regarding his lavish love. And then pray together in gratitude and praise to him, and then we'll conclude our chapel. Take a few minutes and do that. Father, let us pour out daily and powerfully this weekend the perfume of praise that is the heart of gratitude the scapegoat who bore our reproach outside the camp. Let us commit as a campus to being more lavish in expressing the, the perfume, as it were, of our passion for you, giving our all for the one who gave his all. Let the world see it. Let them be impacted by it. Let the scoffer and the skeptic be surprised by it and confused by it. And I pray, Lord, we live in love in a way that will never be forgotten. Bless us as we bless you. In Jesus' name.